This episode of the Gondrepreneur Podcast is made possible by Evergreen Gateway, a provider of cannabis-friendly financial services. As many cannabis entrepreneurs have experienced firsthand, it can be very difficult to get approval for essential financial services once your bank finds out what industry you're in. Evergreen Gateway makes it easy for cannabis entrepreneurs to access the financial resources that you need to operate your business. From merchant accounts to cash advances, virtual checking, and depository banking, Evergreen Gateway has established solutions that cater to the specific needs of the cannabis industry. Get in touch today at evergreengateway.com. Hey there, I'm your host, T.G. Brandfall, and thank you for listening to the Gondrepreneur.com podcast, where we try to bring you actionable information and normalize cannabis through the stories of gondrepreneurs, activists, and industry stakeholders. Today, I am joined for the second time by Morgan Fox. He's the Media Relations Director for the National Cannabis Industry Association, which represents nearly 2,000 member businesses and tens of thousands of cannabis professionals. Fox previously served as the Director of Communications for the Marijuana Policy Project, and he is uh, now a friend of the show, I guess, with a second appearance. How are you doing, Morgan? I'm doing as well as uh, I guess everybody else is, uh, all things considered. Uh, thanks for having me back on. Hey, great to have you. You know, we're always uh, look to you for, you know, what's going on uh, at a federal level. Um, you know, before we get into all of that, I wanted to remind people uh, what you do uh, and how you ended up in the cannabis space. So I'm the media relations director for NCIA, which uh, basically just involves uh, speaking with uh, lovely people like you a lot and trying to get the message out. <laughs> about uh, NCIA's uh, uh, federal policy work, the resources that we're bringing to bear on behalf of our members and uh, the resources that we're offering them to help them run best practices and really present the best possible face for the industry. And uh, it's been a really exciting time, especially this last uh, year and a half or so uh, in terms of federal policy uh, movement. Uh, you know, even though we uh, are not quite exactly where we want to be yet, uh, obviously we're getting closer and closer uh, to uh, the ultimate goals of descheduling and uh, policies that will treat the industry fairly. And I have to say we're closer than we've ever been before. So this is a very exciting time to be involved in cannabis policy. So in, in the year and a half uh, since you've been on the show, you mentioned there's some been some federal stuff that includes um, you know, the first ever House hearing on a, on a standalone cannabis-related bill, uh, that being the Safe Banking Act. Um, so so tell us about you know, what has changed and what's changed uh, in, for the NCIA uh, in that last year and a half. Uh, well, a, uh, a Democratic takeover of the House of Representatives definitely went really far. You know, we had been gaining a lot of support among Republicans, but it was just very difficult to get any sort of hearings before the uh, uh, control of the House changed. And we really saw that uh, last year in, uh, in true form. There were just uh, hearing after hearing after hearing on uh, all sorts of issues related to cannabis and all sorts of bills related to cannabis policy. Um, and as you mentioned, we had uh, a major victory with the Safe Banking Act. Um, it was the first time that any cannabis-related bill had gotten a vote or been approved by the, uh, the full House of Representatives with uh, overwhelming bipartisan support. And uh, then we also saw a, uh, a committee hearing, which was the first of its kind to uh, ever approve a bill to uh, end cannabis prohibition. Uh, that was with the uh, Moore Act in the House Judiciary Committee. Uh, so, I mean, those two things alone were really a huge sign of where things are going in terms of uh, congressional movement. 
uh, you know, we're really getting to the point of getting past whether or not we should legalize and much more talking about how to do so in ways that uh, undo some of the damage caused by prohibition. So last time you were on the show, we were, we were still sort of, you know, wondering about how uh, cannabis policy would play out, uh, you know, in, in the next couple of years of the Trump administration. Uh, a, a lot has happened since then. You know, Jeff Sessions uh, was gone, which, you know, was sort of a, a big deal. Um, our, 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 you know, and then there was sort of what happened in the recent budget where, where they, you know, the executive budget actually pulled uh, cannabis protections, right, enforcement protections. Um, has has the, the thinking, I guess, of the NCIA sort of or, or, you know, stakeholders evolved with regard to this administration as there hasn't been sort of the, 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 the enforcement that many people anticipated in the early days of the administration? Uh, well, clearly we didn't see any sort of massive move towards crackdowns when the uh, the Cole memo was rescinded, um, either under Sessions or under the new Attorney General Barr. Um, so that's definitely a good sign. Um, and the fact that we're seeing much more discussion in Congress is an excellent sign. Um, I think that in terms of the administration, cannabis policy remains a pretty low priority. Um, we're getting kind of mixed signals from uh, both uh, the president, as we saw in some uh, videotaped statements, uh, as well as some you know, really negative uh, statements coming from his campaign manager. Uh, so I think that it, we're kind of in a, uh, a position where we have to wait and see until some legislation actually gets to uh, Trump's desk before we really know exactly what's going to happen. And since the Safe Banking Act seems to be the bill that is most likely to reach his desk first, uh, you know, we're pretty confident that that would uh, be able to uh, be something that they could support. You know, it's uh, supportive of uh, uh, small businesses, it's supportive of banks, and supportive of public safety and transparency. Um, you know, I think that this is a, a slam dunk for the administration, considering how much support this bill has and how much support cannabis policy reform has overall. And it's an opportunity for Congress, particularly the Senate, to show the American people that they can keep getting work done, uh, despite the fact that there are a lot of distractions and a lot of other issues that they have to deal with. It, right now, you and I are both sort of, you know, we joked uh, be before we hit record, uh, you know, just about sort of living this quarantine life. Um, this is being recorded. Um, you know, in, in early March, and, and we're still, you know, in the early stage of this sort of coronavirus outbreak, how much uh, will this pandemic sort of declaration, national emergency declaration, uh, have on, you know, sort of legislation such as the Safe Banking Act moving forward? It, does it really, it, it does it have the potential to really stomp out any sort of success that has been made this session? Uh, I think it'll slow things down, but not to the point where it's going to halt any sort of progress. Um, you know, like I said, Congress is still very eager to show uh, voters that they can continue doing their jobs despite all the pressures that are being put on them externally. Um, and you know, while we might not be able to get uh, hearings scheduled immediately, uh, you know, our uh, it seems fairly likely that. You know, this isn't going to last forever. It might last for you know eight weeks. It might last for ten weeks. It might last for twelve weeks. Uh, but despite the fact that there's an election coming up and that there's a lot of other issues that need to uh, be worked on, um, I'm fairly confident that we can still continue to see progress, at least getting through some hearings and markups, hopefully. Um, and we know that this is not going to be the end of this issue being discussed in the public sphere. As we get closer to November, it's definitely going to come up more and more. So I want to switch gears a little bit and and talk to you about about lobbying and and um, 
you know, especially as more states have gone online, we have seen, uh, you know, sort of this this topic rise to the top it, it, when people are discussing sort of how bills are being pushed through uh, at a state level. And, and many advocates are actually anti-lobbying. They say that it gives more power to large corporations uh, and it doesn't focus on, you know, the small businesses. Uh, what, what do you say to those uh, people who are critical of lobbying efforts? Well, well, lobbying efforts are absolutely necessary, and it's important to remember that anyone can lobby. Uh, you know, NCIA uh, once a year puts together our uh, annual lobby days. We've got our 10th one coming up, although it may be pushed back a little bit because of the current health crisis, uh, where we get uh, over 300 of our uh, members to uh, come out and set up meetings with them with lawmakers. So anybody can do this. And NCIA is, uh, you know, the only... Uh, Canvas Trade Association with a full-time on-the-hill in-house uh, lobbying team that's representing uh, thousands of businesses and primarily small businesses. So, uh, you know, it's if you don't tell lawmakers what you want, they're not going to give you what you want. You have to be uh, able to talk to them. You know, I can understand the concerns that some people have with uh, the fact that there are bigger companies putting a lot of money into lobbying right now. But without that, uh, you know, progress is going to be a lot slower than it would be otherwise. And it's important to um, recognize that a lot of these companies are, do have, uh, you know, the best interests of uh, consumers and the general public in mind when it comes to the ways in which we end prohibition. And for the ones that don't, uh, it's very easy to influence them with uh, consumer spending dollars. So of all of the bills that are in Congress right now aimed at reforms uh, or broadly ending prohibition, and, and I think that, you know, on one, just sort of off the top of my head, I can, I can count at least three. Um, is there one that the NCIA is supporting as stronger than the others, perhaps? The MORE Act is definitely uh, you know, uh, making a lot more progress than any of the other pieces of legislation. And it uh, very explicitly addresses ways to... Uh, help undo some of the damage caused by prohibition, specifically expungement and providing resources for community reinvestment and allowing the uh, Small Business Administration to be able to uh, provide uh, uh, funds for uh, businesses owned by women and minorities. So, uh, you know, that's the one that seems to be uh, the strongest bill and have the most political support in the House. You know, that's the vehicle that is really going to move uh, as we're uh, going forward. And we've already seen that um, even though it still has many other, uh, I think uh, it's got five more uh committees that it has to get through before it can get to a house phone, uh, we're starting to see a lot of those committees waive their jurisdiction, most recently the Small Business Administration Committee, uh, so that we can push this bill a little bit farther down the road during this session and hopefully have it come up for a full house vote in uh, 2021. Um, right now, that bill is not really moving in the Senate, but neither is the States Act, which is uh, significantly weaker in terms of the protections that it creates and the uh, restorative justice uh, arms that it employs. And when you say that, you know, they waive their jurisdiction, uh, I know what that means. But but for the average listener, could you explain, you know, why why that's important or, or why that is sort of considered a success, even though they're not, you know, positively affirming uh, the legislation? Well, yeah, so any uh, any bill that's going through Congress will uh, have to move through several committees based on what the bill actually affects. So in the uh, the case of the Moore Act, uh, there were uh, six or seven committees that would have jurisdiction, which means that in order for them to move farther down the road towards a full House vote, uh, that 
committee would have to hold a markup on that bill and then approve it and move it on to the next committee. So when they waive their jurisdiction, it basically means that they're trying to push this bill as quickly as possible and uh, don't have anything that they really need to uh, uh, say about it or amend to it. Um, you know, we're hoping that at some point in this process, uh, we can work with lawmakers to uh, amend the language so that it contains uh, a regulatory structure uh, similar to what we laid out in a, uh, a white paper that we released in October that basically divides cannabis products into four different lanes and then assigns a federal agency uh, to have primary regulatory control over that, whether that's the FDA or the Alcohol and Tobacco Tax and Trade Bureau. Uh, so hopefully we'll be able to get that language added to that bill at some point so that when it does pass, there's not you know five to 10 years of regulatory agency infighting uh, trying to determine who's going to own this issue and how they're going to regulate it. They'll already have the blueprint set as soon as the law goes into effect. That's really uh, quite interesting. These white papers that that you guys make, um, is, is this one of the things that, you know, the, that the lobbyists that you have go around and sort of and, and put in front of lawmakers? Oh, absolutely. So we developed them uh, with uh, the uh, input from our staff and uh, our allies, as well as our policy council, which is made up of, uh, you know, industry and policy expert uh, area leaders. And then once we publish these, then our lobbying team uh, will use those to help uh, add to their uh, their general lobbying strategy so that we can provide lawmakers as well as people in the industry and state level regulators and potential future federal regulators with the best information possible. So I, I, I wanted to sort of ask you about messaging. I'm a, I'm a communications professor uh, at, at a SUNY school. And um, <clears throat> so one of the things we talk about is, is you know, crafting messaging. And as the communications director, and, and you've been, been in this industry in, in communications for a long time, uh, how do you work on crafting messaging to combat the voices of prohibitionists such as, you know, smart approaches to marijuana or, or SAM? Uh, well, uh, uh, one of the lucky things on our side is that uh, we've got the facts and science on our side. Uh, you know, uh, it's uh, it's a lot easier to make your point when uh, your reasoning is actually correct and not based on pseudoscience or cherry picking data to uh, try to you know scare people. Um, unfortunately, sometimes those tactics really work well. So, particularly when you're talking to more conservative lawmakers or a more conservative audience, uh, it's really good to, uh, you know, not necessarily, um, you know, bash people over the head with the facts, but frame things in a, uh, a public safety lens and uh, bring up human stories about uh, the costs of prohibition, as well as, uh, you know, human stories about the successes of regulation and how we're uh, taking money out of the, uh, the illicit market and, uh, you know, basically defunding cartels. That sort of messaging really resonates with people who are either like opposing or on the fence on these issues. Um, you know, public safety is a huge aspect of cannabis policy reform, and it's something that if you focus on, can really make a difference for people that uh, you know think of cannabis and only think of criminality or uh, you know moral failings. How are your messages received by more mainstream news outlets? And I and I see you quoted in in you know in in papers of record and. and you know, not just sort of cannabis, uh, you know, news organizations. Uh, do you do you find you get a lot of pushback from editors and publishers, uh, you know, when when you're sort of uh, in your interviews with them and your interactions with them? 
You know, I think that it really varies depending on the uh, particular media outlet. Uh, you know, the uh, the way in which reporters are writing about this uh, this issue has changed dramatically in the decade plus that I've been doing this, and it's uh, it's really wonderful to see that reporters uh, are not only getting assigned to this beat more often, which forces them to learn more about it, uh, but that a lot of people are really going out of their way to uh, you know figure out the best ways to really write about this story and are focusing much more on uh, you know, advocacy work and success stories and the science behind it. And uh, uh, you know, instead of just giving it a platform for uh, you know, government agencies or prohibitionists. So that's definitely been a positive. Now, of course, there are still some uh, people that want to get the really clickbaity stories. And the best way to do that is to either uh, exaggerate negatives or um, you know, really uh, try to focus on uh, fear tactics. And that I think is probably going to be something that we have to deal with for quite some time, but it's gotten a lot better, especially in the last couple of years. Um, really the big problem with uh, all of the interest uh, in this issue is that a lot of times uh, reporters will get assigned to these stories that don't really know the issue all that well. And so it's very easy to fall back on old stigmas and tropes. And so what, what is your opinion on how, you know, from the mainstream media, let's, let's talk about television news media, uh, you know, the, the CNNs, the MSNBCs, the Fox News. Uh, what's your opinion on how, the, how they cover cannabis? Uh, do you notice sort of, I mean, we, you sort of mentioned the cannabis. Uh, do you think it's sort of worse uh, on these sort of, you know, television news shows? And, and, and if so, do you think it's a lack of education or some bias within the organization and its employees? I mean, again, I think it's really across the board, uh, you know, even within if you're just talking about CNN, uh, they'll do or uh, like, so you'll see a CBS story about, uh, you know, the potential dangers of increasing potency, which we know doesn't really have any science behind it. And then you'll see something like uh, uh, a Sanjay Gupta piece that goes really in depth and is really, really solid, excellent reporting. You know, you'll have uh, people, uh, you know, joking about the issue in one uh, talking head show and and uh, people like screaming about the issue in another. I mean, uh, you can just look at uh, some of the, the coverage that like Laura Ingram and Tucker Carlson have done on this issue to see that that kind of bias is definitely still there. And it's certainly not, uh, you know, anything rational that you're seeing coming out of these. Uh, but there are, uh, there's a lot of uh, good coverage coming out about it. And I mean, I think that um, we saw a lot of that during the uh, early presidential debates when candidates were making really, really strong proclamations about uh, ending prohibition. And uh, these positions and the discussion uh, surrounding them were really taken seriously. And when you started doing this 10 years ago, I mean, you know, we were both of legal voting age and, and can probably remember, you know, the, the debates from, from 2010 or, or at least the, the run up. Does it surprise you that it has taken such a center stage? Uh, I've been surprised at, uh, you know, um, yeah, the uh, the early and extreme attention uh, paid to it by the candidates, even if uh, media wasn't necessarily covering it as much as uh, they were covering some of their other positions. Uh, I think it was really telling about where we are and uh, also about the Democratic uh, sort of party machine, realizing that this is an issue that two-thirds of Americans agree on, and that's something that you're not really going to find in any other issue. So it, uh, if, you, if you want to uh, increase your polling, uh, even if it's not the number one issue for voters, it's a real easy way to get uh, a little bit more support uh, because people are sick of prohibition. And uh, I think that the surprising thing was that people were actually uh, not only 
realizing that this is how the electorate feels, but actually uh, going out of their way to address it instead of treat, uh, treating it like a third rail issue. Do you, do you think that uh, in the next Republican uh, primary that occurs, whether it be you know uh, the next election cycle, it would be actually one way or another, um, do, do you think that it'll take the same sort of early stage, uh, the focus we put on it in, in an early stage uh, because we're seeing more and more Republicans in polls uh, support legalization? Or do you think that, that you know, there's other issues that are more important to Republicans so that the, the, the stance of the, uh, uh, of the candidate on cannabis won't matter as much? You know, I think that's difficult to tell, but you know, all the most recent polling has shown that a majority of uh, younger Republicans uh, support cannabis policy reform. Uh, so if uh, they're interested in activating that voter demographic, then it's absolutely necessary for them to not only just revisit their positions on this issue, uh, but also to uh, highlight them. And so I, I, I want you to sort of weigh in on this on this debate. I actually I, I joined a podcast uh couple months ago and this was brought up and 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 i've had conversations with this with my you know people i'm close to uh people who uh, my students you know when we're talking about messaging and bias what's your take on marijuana versus cannabis and messaging uh, I generally lean more towards cannabis just because it's uh, a little bit more accurate and it doesn't have a lot of the, um, you know, the racialism and stigma that is attached to uh, uh, marijuana uh, in terms of its uh, historical usage. Um, at the same time, I don't necessarily think that it's a word that should be like constantly avoided uh, at all costs. Uh, or that it makes you a bad person for using it. Uh, I just don't think that it should be used exclusively and you should try to use cannabis wherever you possibly can because it's more accurate and doesn't carry that, uh, that added unfortunate like historical weight to it. Um, that being said, there are some audiences where uh, they don't know what cannabis means. So I think it's important that you really have to uh, tailor your message so that it will uh, at least be the most recognizable to your, uh, your target. What about slang terms, other slang terms, pot, weed, that, that whole thing? Because when I see it in, in a headline or something, like I, I feel automatically it's clickbait or bias in some form. Is that, am I alone there? Uh, I don't like seeing it, but at the same time, I understand that like writers can't necessarily use the same word over and over again, and they want to shake it up a little bit. Um, so I, I try to be forgiving, but I never use it myself. So I, I prefer trees, but I would never use it in writing. Um, in, in your opinion, should cannabis businesses, big and small, have a dedicated communications person? And, and do you think that that role is overlooked when people uh, start building their company? Well, I think it depends on what the company is trying to do. I mean, uh, uh, you know, messaging, I think, is definitely important. And when you're running a, 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 a commercial company, you have to also take into account things like branding and how you're going to be targeting your products. So um, I think that it's important to incorporate the lessons that are being learned from sort of the, uh, the broader policy and movement world and incorporate those lessons into branding and marketing uh, at the very least, you know, whether or not you're going to have somebody on staff that's like full time, you know, writing press releases and talking to reporters. I think that really depends on what, uh, you know, what sort of a profile you want your business to have. Um, 
from my end, though, I actually really like it when uh, member businesses are interested in uh, talking to the media and presenting a good public face for not only their own business, but the industry at large. And they actually do take time to think about the messaging and, you know, uh, confer with uh, people in the, uh, in the movement and advocates and lobbyists to see how they can tweak that messaging and make sure that it's representing the best interests of the industry. So the the last thing I want to talk to you about is possibly the last cannabis conference that uh, is, that that's going to happen, uh, you know, this this year. I mean, with the rate that things have been postponed, canceled without uh, you know any sort of makeup date. Um, tell me about uh, you know the February's NCIA Northeast Cannabis Conference. Uh, how was the attendance over last year? Vendor uh, vendor interest. Uh, just sort of let, you know. Let me know how that went down. Uh, well, I'm, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but uh, we actually retooled this particular conference. Uh, it used to be called the Seeds of Sales Show, which was much more concentrated on uh, B2B work and uh, on a national scale. And for this one, we uh, pared it down to be much more, I, didn't, I wouldn't say pared down, but we uh, focused it uh, to be much more of a regional interest uh, show. And uh, we are hopefully going to be able to do that uh, for several other events throughout the year if uh, you know, this uh, public health crisis is able to stabilize. Uh, but, uh, um, you know, it, it was a great event. You know, we had uh, hundreds of exhibitors, uh, thousands of attendees throughout the, uh, the course of the weekend, uh, you know, more than 150 speakers and panelists, uh, really great keynotes, uh, presented information there from uh, a meeting of uh, law enforcement and industry stakeholders and social justice activists uh, to try to figure out how to deal with the illicit market in creative and humane ways, as opposed to just uh, punitive and arrest. Uh, you know, there were all just, uh, you know, a lot of opportunities, not only to show off, uh, you know, what your business is doing, but learn about what's going on in terms of uh, uh, business technology, best practices and uh, policy issues. What are you hearing from your member businesses uh, right now with regard to coronavirus? I've read a couple of reports that um, you know, dispensaries are sort of getting a run on them, you know, just like regular businesses are, um, you know, there's some concern about sort of, you know, are some of these conferences going to be able to occur, uh, you know, the NOCO Hemp Expo, uh, Hash Bash, you know, Michigan's sort of, you know, 49 years running event. Um, you know, what, what are you hearing, you know, from your business, from your member businesses with regard to what's going on with coronavirus? Um, well, uh, some of the concerns are based on the supply chain with uh, there being uh, quarantines and shipment stoppages uh, happening from overseas. Um, some of the problems, uh, you know, luckily, though, we've seen uh, U.S.-based businesses really step up and um, we see the, uh, the supply chain start to diversify and become a little bit more uh, uh, domestically center, uh, centered. Uh, I think that will probably continue uh, for the foreseeable future. Um, in terms of uh, actual operations. So, you know, a lot of uh, the direct-to-plant businesses don't necessarily require there to be, uh, you know, large concentrations of people. It's usually just a couple of people, uh, you know, working in a relatively large area. Um, but it's still important for those businesses to follow uh, whatever uh, state, local, and federal guidelines there are in terms of uh, making sure to ensure public safety and uh, 
you know, make sure that uh, uh, social distancing is taken into consideration until this uh, uh, pandemic is under control. And, you know, all the recent uh, uh, estimates that I've seen are that it's looking like eight weeks. So that's not insignificant by any stretch of the imagination, but it's not something that uh, we can't all get through together. Um, you know, I think that we're probably going to continue to see brisk business uh, going uh, at uh, cannabis retailers until uh, all storefronts are shut down, which hopefully won't happen. Uh, but as long as those businesses are putting uh, you know, extra safety and sanitary measures in place, uh, hopefully we won't have a problem with that. Um, and uh, you know, I think that right now we're just in sort of a, a holding pattern where we have to just wait and see what's going to happen. Um, you know, so far, we've seen uh, delivery services uh, start to uh, see a bump from this uh, right now, which is pretty obvious uh, why. And I think we can see that for the duration as well. I mean, hopefully that leads to, you know, some in states where they don't have delivery or they have pending delivery bills that, that they, you know, sort of, you know, maybe tag emergency legislation on these things, which uh, would allow it in many states to sort of take effect immediately. Absolutely. Particularly in some uh, medical states that don't have any form of delivery. I think that it's going to be really important to be able to get medicine to uh, people who might not be mobile or immunocompromised. Absolutely. Um, so my last sort of question for you is, is sort of going back to the messaging thing. Uh, what advice would you have for companies, for new companies, you know, uh, who aren't established uh, with regard to early stage uh, messaging for their business uh, when it comes to, you know, speaking with the press when they open or, or that sort of thing? I mean, aside from just generally uh, trying to be as professional as possible, um, you know, really focus on being a uh, good member of the community. And that goes beyond messaging. That actually goes into practice. You know, you have to uh, make efforts to uh, build up other businesses in your area. You have to make efforts to uh, be a model for uh, public safety and for security. Uh, and you have to uh, be involved in your community and give back to it and make sure that uh, you're helping the, uh, the people in your community who uh, may have been harmed by the war on drugs. Uh, in at least some fashion. And I think that, it, you know, if you put those plans in place, then you have a, uh, uh, a great opportunity to be able to uh, craft your messaging and the way in which you communicate with both the media as well as the rest of the community in a really positive fashion. So I, I really appreciate you coming on again, uh, you know, giving us sort of the legislative update, you know, what's running through uh, the legislature and really getting into some details with me on, on sort of the messaging thing, which uh, it's, it, again, I, I teach it. So I'm, I'm really sort of passionate about sort of communication, communication techniques. Uh, where can people uh, find out more about uh, the work that the NCIA does? Well, our website is thecannabisindustry.org, and we're also on uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, I also highly recommend that uh, all your listeners reach out to their uh, federal senators and ask them to uh, uh, fast track the House-approved Safe Banking Act so that we can get this legislation out of the Senate and get it to the president's desk as swiftly as possible. That's Morgan Fox is the media relations director for the National Cannabis Industry Association. Thank you so much, Morgan, for being on the show. Uh, hopefully uh, we can get you on, you know, not in another year and a half. And, and when this all blows over and it's business as usual. Huh? Yeah, hopefully. I really appreciate it. It's great talking to you. Thanks.
You can find more episodes of the Gontrepreneur.com podcast in the podcast section of Gontrepreneur.com and in the Apple iTunes store. On the Gontrepreneur.com website, you'll find the latest cannabis news and cannabis jobs updated daily, along with transcripts of this podcast. You can also download the Gontrepreneur.com app in iTunes and Google Play. This episode was engineered by Trim Media House. I've been your host, T.G. Brandfalls. <laughs>